0: وعلى والصحبي والسلام نحمد الله سبحانه وتعالى ونستعينه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن من يهده الله فلا ومن فلا له ولا حول بالله First of all I want to welcome Leila Shahin who's a Dr. Leila Shahin who's a member of the Turkish parliament and the group of people that came with her. I don't know all the names, but uh, she uh, is, has, yeah, there she is right there. Could, yeah, stand up maybe. Just stand up so they can see you. Yeah, thank you. Alikumussalam. Yeah. So she uh, has been at the forefront of women's rights in Turkey, including religious rights uh, and helping restore the right. To wear the hijab for women in Turkey, so she's been a very uh, important person for <coughs> human rights in uh, in Turkey. Because certainly, religious freedom is a human right according to uh, Islam, la and also uh, to the Western system based on the United Nations. Yeah. 1947 I think it was or 48 when they ratified the Charter of Human Rights religious freedom was at the forefront of those rights yeah. um, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim so I'm going to uh, finish what we started inshallah on on the principles derived from uh, Sidi Al-Mawak and Sidi Al-Mawak is a very important scholar, for a number of reasons. One, he, he was the last scholar of Al-Andrus, quite literally. He's, he was in the delegation that met with Ferdinand and Isabella when they surrendered Granada to the Christians. And that surrender was not by any means an unconditional surrender. They had 80 stipulations in the in the actual treaty because the Muslims were still quite strong. They were able to withstand almost a two-year siege on the city. It was a a walled city and they had the mountains behind them so they were able to bring in supplies and they were hoping that the Muslims from Morocco or Algeria would come to their aid. There's a wonderful scene for anybody who's read um, Don Quixote anybody in here read that book? Do you remember the lion scene from Algeria? Yeah. There was a famous scene uh, in that book of the lions that come from Algeria and every, everybody's afraid of them and Don Quixote says, no, 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 I'll open the cage, I'll I'm, I'll fight them. And When he opens the cage, they all just kind of yawn and they don't do anything, but that was really an allusion to the fact that, the, I think, that they, the North Africans didn't do anything to help the Andalusians, other than take them as refugees, which is a big help, but they certainly didn't go. Because if you read that book, Don Quixote, which is the first novel in human history, um, uh, Cervantes spent seven years in, a, uh, in Algeria, he knew Arabic, and a lot of hadiths are actually mentioned in that book um, as proverbs about the, the age of chivalry, and, and the, the, the great knight that he's trying to imitate is Amadou, Amadeus. Right? And he claims to have written it, that he found the book, and it was written by Ben-Gazel, uh, an Arab, Hamid Ben-Gazel. <laughs> Right. So it's, it's a very interesting book about that period of, and it's only recently because I when I because I, I read it a couple of times and I read it in Spain and and it was very clear to me that there were a lot of Islamic motifs. But recently, there actually has been research in Western academia about the Islamic influences on Cervantes. So anyway, back to. Back to Sidi al-Muluk. So Sidi al-Muluk was in that last period. He he's considered a authoritative Maliki scholar in both furu' and usul because fiqh is divided into furu', which is the branches, and those are the that would be akin in Western law to what we call statute law, and then usul, which would be akin to constitutional law. So constitutional law gives you the frame by which laws are made. But the statute law are the actual laws that are made from within that frame or matrix of constitutional theory. So, um, usul al fiqh is, is the theory behind the, the, the legislation. And then fiqh, uh, is, is the actual rulings. And one of the problems with Islamic fiqh, uh, or, or one of the things that is problematic with Islamic fiqh is that it's, it's, It's not, it's very difficult to implement it as statute law. In fact, the Ottomans attempted, with al Majid II, when they did the Tanzimat, they attempted to codify Islamic law because the commercial law in particular was necessary in dealing with the Europeans who had codified legal systems. So they attempted to do it, but the Islamic law is 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 more organic and it's very difficult to have a hukum that is universally applied in every situation because the judge will look at every situation as a particular case. It's, it's like the difference between naturopathic medicine and allopathic medicine. In, in naturopathic medicine, every case of asthma is unique. So, uh, Sidi al-Mawak was both usuli and a faqih. He, he has a famous commentary, Tajul Iklil, on the Mukhtasar of Khalil, which is the preeminent, later abridgment of Maliki law. He was also a student of uh, uh minturi who was a student of Ibn al-Lub, and this is in the Maqasidi tradition, because the, the Malikis in particular, but also Abu Hamad al-Ghazadi's, uh, and Imam al-Juwaini school uh, is, is a maqasid school that attempts to look at the underlying reasons for uh, the sharia, getting at the purpose behind the sharia. And so the maqasid are the aims and ends of sharia, like what the sharia is trying to do. And then you have the means to those ends, which is why ahkam can shift based on the the maqsa, the purpose behind it. And and that makes it very difficult because it it needs very creative legal minds to work within that framework. Um, In the West, you have things like the Supreme Court where these are where the creative minds are supposed to work to figure out things. But in the Islamic tradition, the, the judge should really almost be at that level And traditionally, they really were, in best case scenarios, the judges were of a very high caliber because the training took so many years. In the West, legal training literally takes three years, which from a Muslim perspective is insane. To give a person a license after three years to practice law would be considered madness in the Islamic tradition. In the Islamic tradition, you would have at least 15 to 20 years before you would get a permission to issue fatwas and to... I mean, to be fair, in, in the Western tradition, you know, it takes a while to get to the stage where you can actually uh, be uh, like the Supreme Court, where they, where they do issue those type of judgments. Because they're more like muftis, uh, with the exception... They're, they're They're like a mufti and a judge, because their positions become binding. Although the great uh, legal theorist from Princeton University, uh, Robert George, uh, has a, a brilliant, I think, argument about uh, the original intent behind the Supreme Court um, and how it differs from the modern. This is for the Americans, even though everybody else gets affected by this stuff, <laughs> unfortunately. So he says, makru' uh, Adam Adamu ba We talked about that yesterday. The ruling of a makru uh, is that you don't rescind the ruling once it's happened. Somebody asked me after the class for an example. An example of that would be marriage contracts. Certain marriage contracts could be makruh, and so it would be, you would tell them not to do it. But once it's happened, it's not haram, and what's happened um, is is marriage. And so you're not going to rescind the marriage because... Of something that was makruh and not haram that was done, Um an uh, you know, to command something means to uh, also uh, command the to prohibit something means to command the opposite of it generally. So, so when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, La taqul don't say to your parents, "Uff," then the opposite means speak kindly to them, right? So, if if a nahi' comes. It very often means to do the opposite, right? you know, So don't insult them or be mean to them. قِلَّةُ الْإِثْمِ بِنِسْبَةِ خَيْرٌ كَثِيرٌ Very important, less sin in relation to more sin is a great good. Uh, and this is very important. This is why traditionally Islamic societies tolerated levels, levels of sin. And you get into Western, if you read Max Weber and the theories about uh, crime and the social functionality of crime, this is also related to this, not to the same degree, but in that you have to allow for flexibility within a society. Because if you try to eliminate all sinfulness, it will lead to greater sinfulness. So there are certain things that you want to focus on. Like in our culture, we're seeing a collapse of family. So focusing on things that will keep the family healthy and survive is more important than focusing on other things of lesser importance. And this is a type of triaging, to use a term from from uh, emergency medicine. You know, you, you, if somebody comes in with a headache, it could be a brain tumor and it could actually be... Uh, Extremely dangerous. But you're not going to treat that person before you treat the person who's lost a limb and they're bleeding to death. You you have to look at what's more important. So then he says, In actions that draw you near to Allah, if the sharia recognize the genus of the action. This is very important because in logic you have a genus and and you have what's called jins and naw' and khasa you know these are these are terms from logic they're called the five predicables in, in classical logic so you have the genus and then you, and you have the kind and then you have the difference the differentiate the the genus and the difference gives you the kind the species so for instance if you look at a human being our genus is animal biologically i mean obviously we 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 have uh, eternal souls which is a uh, theological but looking at us as a species among the species of of animals uh we are, we are under the category of of the genus of animal we're not vegetable right we're not mineral we're animal but what what gives us our difference Intellect because other animals don't have any. So that's the difference you put the difference in the genus together and you get the species Which is rational animal or human being? Qurba has there's a gene like dhikr is a genus there are many types of dhikr that Differentiate that dhikr from other dhikr so recitation of Quran the genus is dhikr But the species right is 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 the reading of Quran Right? So it's a, it's dhikr by reading the Quran. So what he's saying is, the genus of dhikr is encouraged in Islam. There are many ways to do that. And so, you know, if the Sharia sees that this is from the genus, then there are many ways to do that. And this is a big khilaf amongst people that say all of ibadah is tawqifiyah. That's true. But dhikr is what is mawquf. Dhikr is what is from the Prophet udkuru dhikran kathiran do much mention of god udkuru اللَّهِ الَّذِينِ اللَّهِ qiyaman وَقَعُودًا wa ala they they remember allah standing sitting and reclining so so the quran gives these 3 hay'at which are the heyat, the 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 things that human beings do that all those are appropriate to do dhikr in so now there obviously there's bid'ah in dhikr Undeniably, but generally, the dhikr is seen as a good thing. So the nawafil are those things that the sharia says there's a reward in. So dhikr is a type of nafila and there's a reward in doing dhikr. Whether it encourages a specific kind of dhikr. Like for instance you could just be be saying ya muhaiminu ya muhaiminu ya muhaiminu Sidi Ahmed Zarruq says if you want to strengthen your memory in his commentary on the the 99 names ya muhaiminu is a good name to do constantly there's nothing in the sharia that says the prophet used to do ya muhaiminu but the quran says call on the names of allah and al muhaimin is one of the names so it's permitted now there's certain names that People aren't encouraged to do a lot. Like, you don't want to call Yamumit. You know, that's not a name that you really want to invoke uh, unless you've got some enemy in front of you. Yamumit. <laughs> Amit, you know. But generally, it's not a name that you want Yamumit, you know. And I mean, you don't really want to call on that name as a type of invocation because it's one of the Jalali names. And Anyway... مختلف العلماء في تحليله وتحريمه فلا يقال فيه حرام if the ulama differ about its tahleel and about its tahreem you don't say haram as a as a statement the early ulama did not say haram if you look at the early period malik uh, and and abu hanifa they used to say things like لَا يُعْجُبُنِي, i don't like it or, لا يفعله الناس. When Malik was asked about music, he could have said haram. He didn't. He said, لا يفعله إلا الفساق عندنا. It's something that the people that aren't very religious do it in our community. Right? But he didn't say haram. Because it's Amr مختلف Fihi. Now, when the majority of the ulama say something is prohibited and, and a minority say that it's, 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 uh, it's not then generally the ulama tend to go with the dominant opinion because of the hadith of إِذَ اَخْتَرَفْتُمْ فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِالسَّوَادِ الْعَظَامِ When you differ, be with the majority. وَيَدُ اللَّهُمْ مَعَ الْجَمَعَةِ The providential care of God is with the jama'ah. So, uh, So, fi الْعُلَمَاءَ فِي تَحْرِيرِهِ وَالتَحْرِيمِهِ فَهُو مَكْرُوهُنْ وَمَنْ تَرَكُهُ وَمَنْ فَعَلُهُ ليأثم. So when the ulama differ about some say it's halal, some say it's haram, it takes the hukum of makroo. You'll get a reward if you don't do it, but you're not sinful by doing it. Very important qaida. إِذَا ظَهَرَ لِلْمَرْءِ to مَا يَظْهَرُ لِغَيْرِهِ فَيَمْتَنِعُ فِي ذَاتِهِ ولا الناس على مذهبه. If it appears to a man, something that, uh, is, another comes to a different conclusion, he can not do it in and of himself. If he thinks something's haram, but other people say it's not, but he thinks it is, then he sh- he shouldn't do it himself. But he shouldn't force other people to follow his his school. They said about Imam al-Ma'zari that his knowledge was so vast that he never actually uh, would... Attack anybody, because he would say maybe he's following the opinion of so and so. That's how vast his knowledge was that he found excuses for people in 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 what they did. المصيب, the madhab of, of the masters is that every mujtahid is correct in his istihaad. That. The, there, there's there's a rejection of Ibn Hazm's claim that those who follow license uh, are 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 uh, fusaq, you know, irreligious people. عَلَى أَنَّ مَنْ أَسْلَمَ فَلَهُ أَنْ يُقَلِّدْ مَنْ مِنَ الْعُلُمَاءِ حُجُرٍ So the ijma is that whoever becomes Muslim, they can follow anyone amongst the ulama. They they don't have to follow any. Uh, Specific group or opinion. You should follow the dominant opinion. The, 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 the Gnostics, the, those who have knowledge of God, are over those who have knowledge of the categories of God, the Ahkam. So, this is um, the purpose of, of life is to know God. Know that there's no God but Allah and and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says shahid Allahu anhu la ilaha illallah." right and mala'ikatu wa bil qist. so the angels are witnessing that there's no god but God and then ulul ilm those who are firmly rooted in knowledge so this is this is the purpose and that's why uh al karhi the great um, Zahid from Baghdad who was a contem- contemporaneous with Ahmed bin Hanbal, they asked Ahmed bin Hanbal, because he had ulama in his gathering and, and great students of knowledge, they asked him once about Ma'roof al-Karkhi. They said, هَلَّهُ هل نَصِيبٌ مِنَ Ilm." Does he have any knowledge? And he said, عَنْدُ رَأْسُ Ilm, خَشْيَةُ He has the, the whole purpose of knowledge, which is awful awareness in the real sense of awful, you know, an awe-inspiring awareness of God. So, in other words, he has the purpose of knowledge. <inaudible> Those who have khashya are the, the ulama. So, that's the real alim, even if he's not very knowledgeable in the sharia. If he has real awe of God, then he's a, he's a arif. He, he's a alim billah. Even if he's not a alam bi ahkamillah. Because you can have a person who knows all the rules of sharia, but he's fasiq. He's, he's an irreligious person and there are many in the history who knew all the knowledge uh, but they didn't practice it. فِي مَا أُبِيحَ لَنَا لَيْسَ مِنْ Going against the group in those things that are permitted for us is not from the the habits of the, of the imams, of the leaders. In other words, you shouldn't go against the urf of a people in the mubahat. So if they stand up, you know, as long as the person doesn't want them to stand up, if, if the urf of a people is to stand up, or clapping, things like that, this is a'raf. If you, if you start going against these things, you create fitna in a community. And this is part of this book is written to end fitna. Right? And, and too many Muslims, uh, really, they want to just enforce their views believing very often that they're rightly guided in these things. Thinking that this is, this is what's expected. You know, we have to condemn these things. And they'll bring hadith to prove it. They'll bring verses of Quran, uh, to prove it. But this is not the way of the, the ulama of our tradition. The ulama were very gentle in their amr bin Ma'rov and nahiyah They weren't harsh with people, and and then they also prioritize the triaging. What's more important, uh, that that people gather for to to hear a good lecture, uh, or that they don't clap, and if you if you start rebuking them for clapping, maybe they won't come back again because it's like what's that about, what's up with that. Is it really that big of a deal? But people make these things very big deals, and these are things that go under Araf. They're customs and 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 uh, norms, right? The norms of a people. al la uh, And then. Uh, So, فِعْلَ الْخَيْرِ لَا لَا مَنْ أَرَادُهُ إِلَّا أَنْ إِنَّ السُّنَّةَ نَهْتْ عَنْهُ مِنْ To do any act of good should not be prohibited for the one who wants to do it unless there's absolutely something sound from the Sunnah that prohibits it in a way that there's nothing that contradicts that. It's a really important qa'idah. If people want to do good, you know, and then they say, "Oh, that's a bid'ah. If it's a good, and there's nothing in the this gets to a masada that's very important in our tradition, which is called tark. And this is why the next thing that he follows that up with is a tarku laysa bi muljibin hukmin fi matruk jawaza tark khasatan W-amma tahrimun. This is a really important uh, qaida. If you understand this, you get a lot. The, if the Prophet did not do something, this is called تَرْك, Right? عَنْ أَشْيَاءٍ بِكُمْ God was silent about things as a mercy to you, not out of forgetfulness. فَدَا تَبْحَثُ you know, don't don't ask about things that once it comes to you, then then you're, dis, you're distraught you're by it. The Prophet did not like a lot of questioning. Don't delve too deeply into things. Harakan that They perish the extremists. So you can go into this kind of extremism. The, the early ulama differed about tarq. Imam Malik inclined towards avoiding things the Prophet did not do. That's because he had a lot of wara. It's not to say the other Imams didn't have wara, but Imam Malik was very conservative. For that reason, for instance, he did not... Uh, he considered it makru to recite Quran in one voice. Because he couldn't find anything that said that the Sahaba did that. The other Imam said, like Imam Shafi'i, Tark is not a dalil. If the Prophet didn't do it, it's not a proof that it's haram. And if you can find something of the genus that permits it, then it's it's perfectly fine to do. So, in, in the example of the Quran, the hadith in Sahih Muslim مجتمع وحفت بهم الله في من الله في من So in that hadith oh, on, In that hadith, no group of people gather in a house of the houses of Allah Right? It doesn't say, one reads it and the other. No. اجتماع, in the Arabic language, افتعال, means to gather together. So they gather together and recite the Quran together. So they said, this is a, this is a proof. Right? And the fact the Sahaba didn't do it is not a proof that it's not prohibited to do. Now some of them use the hadith uh, the athar from Ibn Mas'ud that says that Ibn Mas'ud عنه, found some people in Iraq that were in a circle of dhikr doing dhikr together and he said what is this and he said nadhkurullah he said afaqtum ashaba Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam." is did you are you better than the companions in other words we didn't do this why are you doing this that's often used as a dalil well Sidi Ahmad Zerouk in the Qawaid says, and this is a qa'idah in, in what's called Adab al-Baath wa al-Munadara, the comportment of discussing and debating about issues, ala 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 al-Naqil al wa ala al-Mudayi al-Dalil, that if you're going to mention a some naql if you're going to transmit a hadith or a verse or anything and say, Allah or qala fulan," so and so said, you have to show that it's sahih. The attribution is sound. If you're going to make a claim, you have to bring a delil, either naqli or aqli. There's two types of delil, delil naqli, which is a transmitted delil, or a delil aqli, a rational delil where you can prove it by reasoning that, that this is true so ahmed Zarruq says bring the dalil of that because we're not going to leave a sahih hadith in, the, in, in sahih muslim that says that you can gather or the hilqud dhikr that because uh, ibn rabah said hilqud dhikr hilqul halal hilqul halali wal haram that's true the circles of dhikr are the circles of fiqh. and learn Like this would be considered, even though we're not in a circle, it would be considered to be dhikr. Because we're learning the ahkam of our deen, we're learning our religion. So this is the reward of doing dhikr of Allah. Which is higher than sitting and saying, subhanallah, alhamdulillah. Which is good. Wa vi kullin khayr. There's good in that. But the way of knowledge is a higher way of the two. So that's really important about tarq and shaykh abdullah bin bayya wrote a really important book al mashahid min al maqasid about this very issue proving that tark if it's understood properly will resolve most of the conflict the religious conflict in our community where people say that's haram because if it's a masada if it's it's a, if it's related to tark then you can't you can't use it as a proof against people. To say the Prophet didn't eat something doesn't mean that it's prohibited to eat. Now, it's true. Sahaba, when the Prophet, they brought him lizard, the Arabs used to eat lizard. In fact, the Persians made fun of them calling them akratul bab, you know, the lizard eaters. Um, The Arabs used to eat lizard. Well, when you're starving, lizard will taste pretty good. It's, it's, It's like one of the zuhad who used to eat really, really bad bread And one of his friends came and he he said, how do you eat that stuff? He said, by not eating it for several days. (laughs) You know, it'll taste pretty good, right? So, uh, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example. And this is how we get spoiled. When I was in the Sahara, no bread. Now, in the West, most people do not eat bread on their own. They have to put butter on it, put something else on it, right? But if you haven't had bread for a really long time, bread on its own tastes really good. And that's, that's the idea behind it. So, how did I get off on that? Uh, I know, I know that. Yeah, thank you. She is, somebody's paying attention, yeah. Yeah. Um, that the Prophet if he didn't eat something, it wasn't. So the Prophet he when they said it was bub, he withdrew his hand. One of them said, a haram, ya Rasulullah. Is it prohibited? He said, no, except that my people don't eat it. In other words, and there's a, a tradition Umar, يعني, A'tu jasad give bodies what they're accustomed to from food. One of the signs of the real sickness of the modern period is eating a lot of different types of food. So people have, oh, what do you want to have tonight? Indian, Italian, you know, Chinese, Turkish. They're all the different. Traditionally, people ate the same food every day. And then on their festivals, they had uh, different foods. So it's very, the body doesn't know what to do. Because one day you give it all this Chinese food and it's like, I'm, I'm from Ireland, why are, <laughs> why are you giving me Chinese food? Next day you give it Italian, and, you know, what's up with this? So it gets confused. And, and, and that's why traditional societies always ate the same thing. Every day, the same thing. So the body's used to it, it knows how to deal with it. But when you give it all these different things, it creates a type of physiological confusion, and then it, it begins to break down and get sick. Anyway, that's my theory. But um so the Prophet ﷺ did not eat uh lizard, that doesn't mean that it's haram. Because there's no proof that it's haram. So if if you go to, to China where they eat dog, now I wouldn't eat a dog. But Maliki said it was makru. In fact, <laughs> You know, uh, Imam Shafi'i has a proof against... He said, If the the self considers it foul, then it's prohibited to eat. So he he would say like snails, you know, escargot, the French eat snails. He would say, you know, because most people, you talk about eating slugs or snails, they just like feel sick. Now they're trying to convince people to eat insects, you know, have you seen this latest movement to eat like um yeah crickets and things, good protein and you know. But people people generally don't like that. But some people like things. Now cats it's too far because cats, you know, Chinese culture, some Chinese eat cats, which I think that's fitra gone wild. Yeah. Because cats you should not eat a cat, trust me. You know, and I don't think you should eat a dog either, but um, the Malikis did permit it because Imam Malik would not prohibit something he could not find a clear delil for. So he said it's makruh. Even khinzir al-bahar, which is what we call the porpoise. You know, porpoise is from a Greek word which means pig. So it was called the pig of the ocean because it has a snout. And it's related to the dolphin. They're from the same family. The dolphin is called duchas or dolphin. They asked Malik about eating Porpoise, right? Khenzir al Bahar, and he said, "Antum You know, you named it pig, so I wouldn't eat it. You know, <laughs> just because Allah harram al khenzir You know, so even if it's khinzira al Bahar, don't eat it, right? And I, and I would not eat a, a porpoise. They're like our cousins. You know, they—they're probably down there discussing what's real and what is not. You know, right? <laughs> They have huge brains, right? Porpoise and dolphins. But everything from the ocean is permitted. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, um al ترك al الأول الحديث المروي غير معمول به Hello. <laughs> Hello? Was somebody recording? Why do I have a phone here? <laughs> not, this is not my phone. <laughs> Hello? Assalamualaikum. Alaikum. Hello? Turkish bilmiyorum. Yeah. Huh? Is this your phone? Do you speak English? Arabic? <laughs> yeah. Whose phone is this? Oh. Oh, it's not. Okay. Well, that's a case for minding your own business, right? (laughs) So, just as the Salaf would leave a hadith, غير معمول به, this is really important. Malik left many hadith that were absolutely sahih because he didn't find anybody practicing them. And he didn't feel comfortable taking a hadith that nobody practiced because... These are the tabi'in. He had 600 teachers from the tabi'in. They studied with the, the sahaba. And he said that if it was a practice, it surely would have been implemented. And one of the proofs of the people of Medina about this was if the imam fell from the, if the mu'adhan fell from the minaret, everybody would have been talking about it. So if the Prophet's la'isim emphasized something, it would have been widely known. So he would leave hadith that were solitary that he couldn't find action on. I'll give you one example of that. It is absolutely sahih that the Prophet said not to fast on Friday. He found all the people in Medina fasting on Friday as a virtuous day to fast. And so he said, I'm not going to take a solitary hadith that is only probabilistic when the people of this city who were with the Sahaba are fasting on Friday as a virtuous day to fast. And so he said, he, and this is why his had the, the hadith is not, you know, everybody says, if it's a sound hadith, this is what I follow. That's not a, uh, a, a categorical statement. That statement has to be, uh, constrained by other considerations. Because if you if every sahih hadith was taken, you would have a lot of confusion. Because some hadith contradict other hadiths. And either they try to find out how, if it's abrogated or abrogating, if it's and that's the case, like in camel doing um, you know wudu from cooked food, which was initially uh, something that the Prophet did. But then after that he said you know that it was fine. Or for instance uh, not having uh, children during the, for the first four years after a child. And then he permitted it. So these are type things that you'll find in the hadith that the Muslims, the ulama squared away, but not all of them were squared. And so for that reason, there's a difference. So he's saying, and this is why Ibn Wahbin, one of the greatest scholars of hadith tradition, he's from the Rijal of the people of Sahih. Ibn Wahbin said, أَكْثَرْتُ مِنَ الْحَدِيثِ حَتَّى تَحْيَرْتُ I learned so many hadith, I became confused. وَلَوْ Malik And had it not been from Malik and Layth, these two great fuqaha, I would have been, I would have perished in my confusion. He said, I went to Malik and I would tell him a hadith, he said, دَعَهُ, leave it. It's غَيْرْ مَعْمُوبِهِ It's not a hadith that's acted upon. Imam Marik knew over 100,000 hadith. In the Muatta, there are less than 800 hadith. Out of all those hadith that he learned, there's only... Because he, the hadith literature is for the ulama. Unless it relates to fadail al-amal in books like Riyadh al-Sariheen, Arba'in, uh, the, uh, Arba'ina Nawiyah, those type books... Are, they, can, they can be uh, learned. And there's a great blessing in hadith. But if you go in untrained into the hadith literature, you'll be on a new deen every day because you're going to find something and then later you'll find something that contradicts it. And, and this is the reality of hadith. So the hadith literature traditionally was for the ulama. It wasn't for uh, Urd nas you know, the, the, the majority of people. It was for the ulama. And he says, فَكَذَلِكَ نَحْنُ بِالْرِِوَايَةِ And we are the same with the riwayah, The فُقَهَةِ bi'amr al الشّيُوخِ We follow the teachers. وَنَتْرُكَ الْرِوَايَةِ So if our sheikh is, says something, then we follow that. This is for the, the at the level of, of, before you're a mushtahid. If you're a mushtahid, then you don't have to. But... If somebody is less than uh, the Rutbah, the rank of ishtihad, then they follow what the ulama said about these things. Or else, and this is why the hadith, the hadith is, is, uh, the hadith literature is vast because the early period, they collected everything and they wanted to ensure that nothing was lost. But then they left it to the fuqaha to sort it out. And so the muhadithun are called sayadila. They're the, 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 the pharmacists and the fuqaha were called the doctors. You don't want the pharmacist prescribing the medicine because he doesn't know how to prescribe. What he knows is, is whether the medicine is, uh, useful or not. So the muhadith, is a Saydali. This is the metaphor that our ulama used. He's a Saydali. He, he says this is sahih. But the faqih looks at it and says this is for prescription, right? Or not. Very important distinction. So he said, or we can mention it and recognize that we can actually disagree, not disagree, but act, uh, opposite of what the Riwayah is saying. This is high knowledge. Or we can, uh, we can express, in nufsihu, with we can express an interpretation or articulate an interpretation, uh, in exchange for whatever the tasrih of the nafs is. So we, we make a ta'wil. So ta'wil is to take, go from the literal to another type of meaning. When, when the literal is, is something that doesn't, it's not working out. And there are many examples of that in, in, in the, uh, in the tradition. مَا لَمْ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ وَلَا نَبِيُّهُ فَلَا معنى لِمَنْ كَرِهَهُ if, the, if Allah didn't prohibit it, or the Prophet didn't prohibit it, there's no meaning in saying it's makru. Because Nahi كَرَهِيَّ comes from Allah and His Messenger. إِنَّ الْخِلَافَ إِذَا لَمْ يَكُنْ فِي أَمْرٍ شَرَعِيًّا إِنَّمَا هُوَ يَعْنِي جَائِزًا A difference of opinion, if it's not from a sharia matter, إِنَّمَا هُوَ يَعْنِي شَيْءًا جَائِزًا Then it's just permitted. If it's not about sharia, if they differ about a reason other than the sharia, it's just a difference of opinion. It's, it's, it's a permitted thing. Uh, so if, إِنَّمَا هُوَ يَعْنِي شَيْءًا جَائِزًا هَلْ يَنْفَعُ لَا Is it beneficial or not? Then if that's the khilaf, people can do it. Al الْإِبَاحَةِ This is the dominant opinion. There is another opinion, الْتَحْرِيمُ That's a valid opinion. But the vast majority of ulama said, الْإِبَاحَةِ the, 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 the foundational legal ruling of all things is permissibility until you have a proof that it's prohibited. That Allah, He's the one that created everything in the earth for you. So everything is permitted unless there is a clear nas that it's not. And that, that's the dominant ulama. Protecting your dignity, even if it means leaving a sunnah, is an obligation in the religion. ظاهر الحديث أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يرشيح للصحابة ما يأتون في مستنبطاتهم من عمل الخير. It's clearly indicated in the hadith tradition that what the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, what the sahaba were doing from good deeds based on their own istimbat, that he encouraged it. So when he would see them doing something good, he would encourage it. لَيْسَ مَا فَعَلَتْهُ الْعَجَمُ عَنْ مُلَابَسَتِهِ إِلَّا إِذَا نَهَتَ الشَّرِيَعَةُ عَنْهُ وَدَلَّتَ الْقَوَاعِدُ عَلَى تَرْكِهِ Not everything the, the non-Arabs do is prohibited from doing. As long as the sharia didn't prohibit it. Or the, qawaid, the principles that we have don't indicate that it should be avoided. This is really important because there are hadiths that say don't follow the ajam, don't do what the non-Arabs do. Those hadiths are specifically, sometimes specific to the Arabs. So for instance, the Prophet said, مَنْ يُحْسِنْ مَنْ يُحْسَنْ أَنْ يَتَكَلَّمْ بِالْعَرَبِيَةِ فَلَا يَتَكَلَّمْ بِغَيْرِهَا يُرِثُ Whoever is capable of speaking proper, properly in Arabic, he shouldn't speak in other than Arabic because it will cause hypocrisy in his heart. Imam Malik didn't like uh, the the non-Arab speaking in the Masjid of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam. If you take those Hadiths, so what? Our religion means everybody has to become Arab the the quran says that uh, that in the difference of your complexions and your tongues is a sign of god the prophet sallallahu spoke farsi to abu huraira when when he abu huraira had stomach ache and the prophet sallallahu alaihi said to him in farsi is your stomach aching he said yes the prophet spoke habashia when the the when um uh, habib ke, ke, uh, came back gave him a a shirt from ethiopia he said inna hasana and he used an Ethiopian word to say it's nice. Because she had learned uh, Ethiopian while she was <laughs> in Ethiopia. He spoke with every tribe according to their dialect. So when the Yemenis came, he spoke Yemeni dialect. Um, so th- and there's an indication that he knew all the languages. So the Prophet did not prohibit language. The Quran, even though it's all Arabic, it turned into Arabic some other terms from other languages. So firdaus is originally from persian right paradise it's from persian uh, the uh, qistas right is was a, uh, a, a latin term but the quran arab ala khilaf i mean there's a khilaf about this issue imam Suyuti wrote a whole book on this subject so it's a khilaf issue cuz in Quran qur'anan arabiyan we sent it down as an arab qur'an there's a khilaf but generally uh, you know, it's it's it's, uh, and then there's a debate about whether Arabic is the mother tongue, or Syriani. من اجاي ما ترى العيناني أن السؤال الرقابي بالسرياني. Imam Syyuti said that in the afterlife, everybody speaks Syriani. But and there's a hadith, it's weak, but it's there, that حب Arabic ثلاث Quran عربي والقرآن عربي. What is Ahl أهل الجنة عربي. You know the I'm Arab. The Quran's Arab, and the tongue of the people of Paradise is Arabic. Um, but anyway, if you take those hadiths and say, "Oh, people have to can't speak Arabic," or "I speak Arabic, there I have to speak to you in," in, in Imam uh, Shafi's first madhab, because he has different madhab stages of his de- development, he prohibited buying and selling in other than Arabic. Fil al Now the reason for that was he said. If you're going to buy and sell, it has to be in some language. So why should the, the Arabi yatanazal? Why should he go down and, and uh, go down? Why not make the other one learn Arabic? But then he changed his opinion. Because if you're Arab and you speak Persian and you want to sell to a Persian and he doesn't speak Arabic, it, <laughs> you're not going to have a sale. <laughs> so you, so you might as well speak Persian right so there 's nothing wrong with speaking other languages um, it 's good to learn arabic' it 's the language of our religion. Um, one of the things about the Ottomans is they never imposed Turkish on other civilizations so when they went to when they were uh, the Ottomans when they were ruling Egypt, the administrative language was Arabic when they were ruling Iraq, the administrative language was arabic because they didn't they didn 't have this Colonial mentality of imposing. Whereas when the English—all no offense to our English brothers and sisters—when the English went to other places, in fact, it's said that the the monkeys in India cons, cons, they know language, but they refuse to speak out of fear the English would put them to work. You know. So, but when the when the English or the French went, they made everything. In, in French and English. So Moroccan administration became French. Uh, Algeria became French. In fact, many F- Algerians lost uh, their Arabic because of the imposition of French. The, the English, when they conquered, I'm sorry to, you know, poke, uh, point out the English, but they're one of the great colonizers in human history. When the English colonized uh, Ireland, and they say the Welsh or the Irish that couldn't swim, Right? when the English conquered Ireland, they cut out the tongues if they spoke Gaelic. So Irish people whose original uh, language was Gaelic don't speak Gaelic anymore except in few areas. They're trying to revive it like they've revived Welsh in, in Wales as a language. But they lost their tongue literally for speaking Gaelic. This happened in Andrusia. They used to cut out the tongues of Qur'an teachers so they wouldn't teach the Qur'an. And now we have our community abandoning the Qur'an when people lost their lives for teaching the Qur'an. It's amazing. So uh, languages are honored in Islam. Every, every language, every people's language is their language. And that's why in many cultures they didn't, a lot of Arabic names went to those cultures, but they didn't adopt only Arabic names. Just like in the West, most uh, Christian people had names from the Bible. So if you meet Western people, it's David and John and Johanna, Dawood, you know, Jesus, In if you're Hispanic, Jesus. Um, but not all the names, many of the names are like Laurel, right, from from Ivy, you know, because they were pagans before they were Christians. They, they, and so, the, you know, the spirit world was all embodied in the animal and vegetable kingdom. You had native peoples, aboriginal peoples, name after uh, animals very often. So Native American Indians had names that uh, related to animals. The Bedouin Arabs had names related to animals, Fahad and Nimr and Di'ib and, and uh, Jahash and names like that, right? That's That's tradition. So the Prophet, when he came, he didn't change everybody's names and make them all get new names. Right? They have their their names that they had in Jahiliyyah unless the meaning was against a a name. Then he would change it. So if they were like uh, Abdullah, he would change it. Or Abdul Atiq, he would change it. But he didn't change names. Hanbalah. He didn't change Talha. Talha is the acacia tree because it's hard and it gives shade. And they use tree names for because the Arabs really love trees. So, people can use names. They don't have to have an Arabic name. You know, and so you go to like Gule in Turkish, right? You have a name like that. It's a Turkish name. Nothing wrong with that. So somebody says, "Why? why do you have that name? I mean, my son's name, Daniel, right? We were in Mecca and he went he was in the restaurant and some lady said to him, What's your name? And and he said, Daniel. And she said, billah." that's not a Muslim name. <laughs> in Mecca, you know, it's like and he was like in tears, he comes up to me and and I said, What's wrong? He said, She's, I she asked my name, I said Daniel, and then she said it wasn't a Muslim name. And I just went up to her and I said, You know, taqillah, I mean don't that's an ala allah, ilm. You know, it's a dangerous thing. To speak without knowledge, you know, just shut up. If you don't know something, don't go in areas you have no knowledge of. The better response is, I, "I've never heard that that name. You know, I didn't know Muslims use that name or something." But to say it's not a Muslim name, you know, because Daniel is in the Qasas al-Anbiya of Ibn Kathir. He has a chapter called Bab Daniel. Uh, it's in the Hadith. The uh, Indian and Malay Muslims use it as a name for their children. right? It's, the reason Arabs don't use it is because it's a very common name amongst Arab Christians. And they don't want to confuse, traditionally, their, uh, their children with the Christian children. Right? So that's fine. That's Urf. If you want to distinguish yourself. Because the Christians have certain names that they use. Most Arabs can identify Christians by their names, whether they're Coptic or Lebanese or because they use certain names the Muslims don't use, and vice versa. So um, that's an example just of you can use any name that's good if it's from your culture. If you want to call your child um you know, a, a a good name, uh that, that's fine. Or if you want to use the names like John, if you're, if you're a convert to Islam, or, or you're raised in the West, and you want to use John instead of Yahya, the, the Turks say Mehmet. They don't say Muhammad. They say Mehmet. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and that's why Yeshua, Joshua becomes Joshua. For instance, in the Quran, you have Ibrahim, which is qira'a sab'iyya and then you have ibrahim which is a qira'a sab'iyya it's a, it's a, it's a valid recitation so if you called your son ibrahim it's as valid as ibrahim because it's a sound qira'a or if you want to call him abraham there's nothing wrong with that Th- these are issues that you know sh- were resolved centuries ago and they just shouldn't be issues anymore but this is This is when ignorance becomes widespread in a community. All these problems arise. And then humility of just not having that basic thing to say, hmm, I didn't know that. You know, I mean, people say that like, really? I didn't know that. Well, gee, do you know everything? I mean, (laughs) is it really surprising that you should say I didn't know that? There's lots of things you don't know. I remember years ago I was in... I was in the Emirates, and they brought these tiny little finger bananas that I'd never seen before from India. And I was like, subhanAllah, I've never seen a banana like that. And, and the Sheikh said to me, there are many things you've never seen in this world. <laughs> right? That was a good lesson for me. There are many things that you've never seen in this world. And there's even more things that in the next world that we haven't seen. مَا لَا عَيْنٌ رَأَتْ وَلَا أُذْنٌ سَمِعَتْ وَلَا خَطَرَ عَلَى قلب بشر. No eye has seen or ear has heard or even occurred to the heart of a human being. That's the akhirah. Ibn Abbas said, لَيْسَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا الأسماء. The only thing that dunya and akhirah share is the names. The realities are completely different. So, it's, you know, when the Quran says there's grapes in paradise, don't think they're like these grapes down here, right? Where you have to spit out the seeds. <laughs> so, that's important. And then, dress also. There are hadiths about من منهم, whoever imitates a people is from them. And so, one of my teachers, Abdullah Atridi, who was a student of Sheikh Al-Ghumari, and I actually have Ijazah from him from Morocco. Sheikh Al-Ghumari was very rigid and strict about things, and he wrote books. Sheikh Abdullah has a book, like calling people to fight the ghazwa of not imitating the Kufar. And that's his book, and it's all these hadith. It's a litany of hadith about not imitating non-Arabs, about don't dress like the Ajam, and don't. Sidi al-Mawak said all of the hadith that relate to not imitating the Ajam are specific to the Arab. They have no relationship to Ajam that become Muslim. So this idea of not dressing like, you know, and then you see converts who suddenly put on a robe and a, and a ghutra, you know, thinking that this is Islam. There's no dress of Islam. There is no dress in this religion that is specific to the religion. The Prophet ﷺ wore a habashi uh, uh, shirt. He wore a Roman shirt. It was a Romani, qamis, Romani. It, was, it had narrow sleeves. He wore a Yemeni uh, uh, red striped uh, jubba that one of the sahaba said I never saw anything more beautiful than the prophet in that red striped jubba so he was international in his dress he didn't wear anything specific to indicate now he did wear a turban and he did cover his head but he also went hasir al-raz to show that it wasn't haram not to cover your head the Andrusians, the orf of the Andrusians was not to wear anything on their head. So the Andrusians did not, in Mauritania, the Mauritanian orf for the men is not to wear anything. They have the turban wrapped around their, their neck, and then when they go out in the sun, they put it on. Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya all the time, he just, pull, right when he gets inside, he pulls off his turban, and he puts it uh, down. Right? So, the turban, undeniably, is is uh, it's arguable that it's from the sunnah. There's a khilaf about it, but it's arguable. But, let me give you an example. The Maliki said, it's only sunnah if you do it with tahniq. So, you have to do the turban wrapped under the chin, because that's the way the Prophet ﷺ wore his turban, with a du'aba, wearing a... Like the way Jama'at Tabligh puts down the, the, and has two, they have two coming out. The Prophet did that. But he wore it under his, his, uh, his neck. And this is why the Muhannak was the alim who had the technique. He reached a level and he started wearing the turban with the technique. So, Uthman Danfodio says, if it doesn't have the technique, it's not sunnah. So, if you put a turban on your head, it's a turban, but it's not the sunnah turban. That's his opinion. Other scholars didn't go by that. So these are khilaf issues. So if the orf is not to wear the hat, which is the common orf uh, in most places now, not to cover the head for males. But it's actually not good for you because the sun goes through the hair. And if you're in areas where there's a lot of sun, it's actually very bad to be exposed to sun. You can get cancer. That's why if you go to a dermatologist, they'll check your hair, under your hair, because it's a very common place to get skin cancer. And we know now that that exposure to the sun is is except for very small amounts to get your vitamin D, you know, like 10 minutes a day maximum. But other than that, it's not a good thing to be exposed to the sun. And people that have a lot of sun exposure, they wrinkle quicker. Uh, they have a lot of uh, skin problems, especially if they're from northern climates. So traditionally, people covered their hat, their head. In both male and female. Now, male, female coverage is the orf of the Bani Adam. I mean, women have covered their head in every civilization. Except for Aboriginal peoples who usually wore very limited. They didn't, they didn't have textiles, so they didn't make cloth. You know, most of them wore, uh, skins and things like that. Aboriginal peoples and, uh, the, the elite who have always uh, not done those things. But the Byzantines, the Byzantine women, covered completely, like a lot of uh, some of the areas in the Gulf, the modern uh, Gulf Arabs, where they cover even with the niqab. That was a Byzantine tradition. Uh, And Marshall Hodgson argues that it actually was adopted by the Muslims from the Byzantines, because it was the elite women that covered their faces, not the common women and historically uh, in the Muslim world it was the elite women which is why on Hajj they're not allowed to cover their face because it was something that distinguished the wealthy from the poor so the women on Hajj weren't supposed to cover their face Um, and that's a Khilaf issue I don't want to get into that because some madhabs say that the face is awrah. the majority uh, is not but there are some of the ulama that said the face of a woman is awrah, she should cover her face it's a weak opinion uh, traditionally, And then they say that fasad al-zaman, a relative hukum uh, about fasad al-zaman, because there's an argument that every zaman outside of the prophetic period is was a corrupt period. وَاللَّهُ تَعَنَىٰ أَعْنَمُ يَخْتَصُ النَّهِ بِمَا يَفَعْلُهُ الْأَعَاجَمُ عَلَىٰ خِلَافِ مُقْتَدَىٰ شَرْعِنَا أَمَّا مَا فَعْلُوهُ عَلَىٰ وِفْقِ النَّدْبِ أو الْإِجَابِ أو الْإِبَاحَةِ فِي شَرْعِنَا so if non Muslims I mean he's really talking about non Muslims here, if non Muslims uh, do something, uh, the, the prohibition of imitating them is in only those things that go against our Sharia. As for what they do that is either encouraged or an obligation or permitted in our sharia, we don't leave it because they do it. Right? We don't leave it because they do it. The one who is scrupulous in his practice should only be scrupulous in what pertains to himself. It is not permissible for him to force his family or his children to follow that same. This is great wisdom because this is what drives kids out of Islam. When you try to force them, you take the strictest opinions and you try to force it on your children. It makes them rebel. This is great wisdom. <laughs> a common person, and a common person is somebody who's not from the the ulama. Every, everybody. Yeah, and then, I mean, you have degrees. Like, most of us are tulab You know, we're, we're, we're students of knowledge. Um, and all of you, inshallah, are students of knowledge. The alim is like Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya, is a alim, you know, to, to say that, you know. And, and some of us, like Dr., Dr. Omar is, I mean, I would argue that he's a alim in, in ilm al-kalam. Like, he knows ilm al-kalam very well. Um, and he's mutafaqih, he knows fiqh, uh, he studied fiqh to a good level, he knows usul and things like that. But even he himself would not put himself in the category of somebody like Shaykh Abdullah bin Bayya. And, and, and I certainly would never do that. So we have students of knowledge um, that are from ammat al-ulama, you know, they're like the amma of the scholars, all right? So they're not from the Amma per se, but they're also not really from the Khasa. All right? Um, And and then you have, I mean, that's my category, so don't take that as a, you know, rule. I'm just, you know, that's not a real category, but it's just helping you understand these differences of what a du'at The du'at, the fuqaha, the mutafakhi, the alim, the mushtahid, the allama. These are all terms that are important to distinguish and are not distinguished anymore. So anybody that memorizes Quran now and can give a good talk, people think he's alim. Which is a real problem because ilm takes years to master and especially it has to be done at the hands of masters. And autodidact can be very dangerous for this religion. So that's very important. He's saying that for a common person to fornicate or steal is better for him than to speak about knowledge without knowledge. This is not a gratuitous statement. It's not an incorrect statement. It's based on the verse in the Quran, al Say, إِنَّمَا only my Lord has only prohibited Al-fawahisha Ma zahra minha wa ma batan Inward and outward fawahish Fahisha in Arabic is Kullu ma yaqbahu Yaqbahu and Arab Yusamma fahisha Everything that the Arabs don't like to say Explicitly they call it a fahisha So if they don't want to mention the sin They just say fahisha Hadhi it could be theft, it could be fornication, it could be adultery, it could be uh, stealing. But generally, it's, it's applied to sexual uh, sins, generally. So, la لا تَقْرَبُوا زينة. Like, don't go near zina, fornication. In كَانَ فَاحِشَةَ Allah calls it a fahisha. مَا ظهرا, What's manifest from it, those things that are done with the limbs and you can see it. ma batan, Those things hidden in the heart like حِقَدْ and بُغَدْ and حَسَدْ and عُجَبْ arrogance, kibar, those type of things are. وَالْإِثْمَةِ And then general sinfulness. وَالْبَغِي بِغَيْرَ الْحَقِّ And then oppressing, unjustly oppressing people. بَغِي, right? تُشُرِكُ بِاللَّهِ يُنِزِّلْ بِهِ So this is the maratib as sinful, sin. This is maratib them. These are the degrees of sin. The first and least harmful, are the natural sins. Theft generally is done because somebody's in need and then they can become accustomed to it. But generally, theft is when people are in need. which So it's, it's understandable why people steal. Fornication is an appetite of the animal nature. It's understandable why people can do that. But oppression, now you're getting into something that is really oppressing another person Is is something that's that's really uh and then shirk associating with allah taking the right of allah who created you and and uh, and and acting uh, in in rebellion against his right but the last one وَأَن taqulu ala اللَّهِ مَا لَا ibn qayyim al in i'lam al says these are the degrees and the highest and worst sin which is more Sinful than shirk. The unforgivable sin is to speak about God and you don't know what you're talking about. And that's why all of our ulama, when they ended their statements, they said, Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Allah knows better. That's his way of getting out of saying something about God. In other words, I'm doing my best, but I'm not going to put myself in a danger. I saw a quote unquote fatwa from somebody about the moon sighting and it was saying calculations da, da, and this is the haqq and everybody should follow this and at the end it didn't say wallahu ta'ala a'lam you know and which is an indication the person doesn't know anything about knowledge because that's just a basic standard of you know or just say you know i think i'm right but i could be wrong <laughs> you just say that because it's ishtihad but to say this is the haqq that's, you're saying what you don't have any authority to say. You have no authority. And this is in his asma, in his sifat, in his ahkam, in all those things that relate to God, in his in the deen itself. This is why our ulama didn't like to say haram. They would say, lay I don't like it. You shouldn't do it. Da'ahu, leave it. But to say, hada, haram. That's why the later ulama, Tended to use it because there was so much. In the early period, the warat was strong, so if the alim said don't do it, people didn't do it. But over time, they stopped responding, and so they started saying it's haram. They they got more assertive to, to, because they were, you know, and they genuinely believed it was haram. But I think that early period needs to be restored, because haram doesn't mean anything anymore. And so everybody's now in danger of their of perdition. I mean, they had a fatwa from a leading Muslim institution that seeing the film Nuh is haram. You know, Noah. It's not Nuh. It's Noah. <laughs> seeing the film Noah with the Australian actor, right? Russell Crowe. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank right. uh, so so the somebody from down under there obviously. Yeah. So uh you know they said oh it's haram to see noah. First of all pick your films man. We've got a ummah now that are watching pornography. I mean pornography is a major problem in our ummah today. And just look at the Google stats if you can trust Google but look at the Google stats on pornography downloads and searches. The highest ones are in the Muslim countries. And it's a real crisis in our community. So, I mean, maybe they'll go to Noah and have toba, you know, (laughs) afterwards. I wouldn't see it. I don't want to see it. But I'm just saying, like, pick your films, you know. Either say they're all haram, you know, but this this is a problem because, you know, People, now it doesn't mean anything. Your 18-year-old kid in the Muslim world, they're not going to listen to that fatwa. It just becomes abath. It, doesn't, it becomes meaningless. So they hear haram, it doesn't mean anything. You know, I heard uh, Shaykh, Shaykhna bin Bayya, the brilliant son of Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya, Shaykhna said, you know, he heard one of the duats on TV saying to, telling the parents, giving them advice, don't say aib to your children about things. Tell them haram and halal. Don't say Aib. You know, we have to get rid of this whole cultural thing. And this is deen of Allah. And that is really not understanding the importance of urf and social regulation. Because people will not do things out of shame from society. Right? In Allah, in Allah, yaz'a'u bi sultan, ma la yaz'a'u bi Qur'an. God will prohibit things with the the government that He doesn't prohibit it with the Qur'an. In other words, just out of fear of being punished by the government, people will not do something that's haram, whereas because the Qur'an says don't do it, they'll do it. The human nature. So the social regulation is very important. To say this is a'ib. A'ib. It's better than saying in many instances it's haram. Because if they do it, at least they, they, you know, they know it's a'ib and they'll hide it. But if, if, if you say it's haram and then they do it, they, it had intihak. It's, it's degrading the, the hurma of God, the sanctity of the deen. So unless it's absolutely haram, we should avoid that word. Because we need to, Retrench. We need to, to see what we're up against. We have a tsunami of sinfulness out there, and we need to choose our battles. Right? So we have to get back to the kaba'ir, because people are doing kaba'ir now. And the saga'ir will be forgiven, إِذَا al-kabair. The hadith says that Allah will forgive lesser sins if the major sins are being avoided. And so focusing on major sins and just not putting all that attention, everything's haram, so people get fed up. Uh, I, I, I can't do this. It's too hard. Islam. Like Azhar Osman said, it's not Islam, it's, it's hard. right? So virtuous deeds and encouraged things are transmitted in other ways than the ahkam are transmitted. The hukam shara'i has to be a dalil sahih. You have to have a sound delil or qiyas that's valid, analogical reasoning that's valid. Or if once you get into usul, Masalah and is istihsan for those who call. I mean, there's a, there's a whole uh, slew of things that usuli scholars have to learn in order to derive rulings. But the point is, is that virtuous things, the ulama were not rigorous about asserting proofs for virtuous things. Because virtue is a good thing. So if it's a good thing, it's better people are doing dhikr than doing something haram. So if they're doing dhikr in a way that might not have been transmitted, but it's still from the genus of dhikr, it's better they're doing that than they're doing something haram. Now, there are some people who take the other school that said, no, it's better that they're doing ma'asiyah uh, and, and not doing a bid'ah I mean, unfortunately, there are some people that, it's a very small minority, but they really believe that. It's better they're in the discotheque than in the zawiyah. Because at least in the discotheque, they know it's haram and they can make tawbah. In the zawiyah, they think they're doing something good and they won't make tawbah from it. This is the type of reasoning. But when you take this madhhab and this methodology of our usuli giants, because he's in the tradition of Ibn bin, of Imam al-Shatibi, of Imam al-Qarafi, of Abu Hamad al-Ghazali. These are the great giants of usul. This is their minhaj, which is a much... Healthier, minhaj for a society that has a lot of diversity, and a way of keeping keep people in Islam and in the halal. And this is why he end, uh, then he says, uh, "لَمَّا فِي ذلك مِنَ الْإِسْتِنَاسِ فِي التَّرْغِيبَ على وَالْإِعَانَةِ فِي النَّفْسِ لِكَيْ يَحْصُلَ لَهَا شَيْءٌ مِنْ أُخْرَاهَا" because this will help them to do obedient things. And in order that they might get their akhira. You know, Instead of making everything haram and chasing them out of the religion, it's better that you try to find makharij for them, of ways of keeping them in the haram, either by taking weaker opinions or taking uh, sound uh, interpretations, things like that. This is what our ulama did to keep people in the halal. They didn't want them in the haram. So they would do everything they could to get them out of the haram. One of the things he says in this book is about You know, if if you have somebody addicted to alcohol, teach them the oud. Because the alcohol is mujma' ala tahreemihi. He said the oud is mukhtarafihi. And he said that music has a a type of intoxication that's similar to alcohol. So you can get them out of the haram into a difference of opinion and, 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 and help them. But if you try to take him from his alcohol to be like in the masjid, praying in the first rank, he said it's too, This too wide. You go, shwaya, shwaya. Just take them little, by yawash, yawash. You know, take them little by little. Right? Just slowly. Get... <laughs> you know, this is hikmah. Wisdom. The Prophet was very gentle with people. He, he He took them slowly. He didn't take them all at once. I mean, they were drinking alcohol. Look how long it took for alcohol to be prohibited. Because if, had he brought all the ahkam at once, they wouldn't have become Muslim. It's too much. So he had to strengthen their Iman. You know, so if somebody comes into Islam, don't force them into all these things. I mean, I had a case, I'll give you a personal example. There was a a lady who became Muslim with me, and the first thing she asked about was makeup, because she had been told that it was haram. And I just said to her, no, don't worry about makeup. It's not important. It's fine, wear your makeup, right? People who heard me, some of, some of the, Audhu Billah, you know, he permits makeup and, you know, she ended up leaving Islam. I asked about her, and I was, where's that? Lady? And they said, oh, she left Islam. I said, why? And they said, because they told her that she was now in fornication because her husband wasn't a Muslim, and she just left Islam. It's just amazing, you know. These people have no fear of God, you know, no fear of God. I had another case of a woman who called me and she, was, she had become Muslim. She's a very highly educated woman. Her husband was highly educated. She called me because somebody gave her my number because she was being told she had to leave her husband because they were no longer validly be married because he wasn't a Muslim. She loved her husband. She had kids with him. And, and so she, she called me and I told her, no, you don't have to leave your husband as long as he's not opposing your Islam. You can stay with her. Six months later, he became Muslim you know now i wouldn't have known that had it not been for Sheik abdullah bin Bayyah. and it's a weak opinion but in this age that's those are the opinions that you need to keep people in the fold and it's an opinion on ali ibn abi talib you know which which has uh, the chain is 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 uh, sound so you know the the, the but it, this is it's better to say i don't know or you know and then he finally, uh, a few more things. Medhab al Now, when they say the Sufia, don't think of what we call Sufis today. Like, at you know, people know, like, in, if you're from Pakistan, you go to Baba Farid, or, or you know, from India, you go to these places where they, and you'll, you'll see people... You know, tying little ribbons to tombs and things like that, and and people say they're Sufis. The Sufis were all the the original Sufis were ulama. They were not ignorant people. They were ulama. Imam Al Junaid was a mujtahid in 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 the madhab of Tha'uri. Um, Shibli was a qadi in the Maliki madhab. He he was he had a very high rutbah in in Maliki madhab. Um, Abu Hamad al-Ghazali is one of the greatest Shafi'i jurists in history. I mean, these were great ulama. They were usuli. they were mufassirun. Uh, you know. So this idea now of the ignorance that's widespread in our community and you have these uh, ignorant people that call themselves Sufis. That's fine, you know, whatever. But that's not what he's talking about. When he says madhab al sufiya he's talking about the ulama. And they were generally the strictest. The Sufiya were very strict about aḥkam, but they were easy on other people. That was the difference. In themselves, they were extremely strict, but with other people, they were very generous and and would find uh, makhraj. So now it's the opposite. You'll find that they're very uh, easy on themselves, but they're also easy on other people generally. And and I don't, I'm not going to, you know, bash people that go under the name Sufi if, if they want to call themselves that or something. I mean, I you know, had a lady who, you know, she, she was like just on the fringe of Islam. And um, you know, and she told me, I'm a Sufi. You know, that's fine. Alhamdulillah, I'm happy for you. Well, I'm saying, no, you're not. A'udhu Billah, your Sufis are, you where's your hijab? Sufis would always wear hijab. You know, this is the other extreme. So you have these two extremes in the community of people that just speak ill of the sufia out of Mawlana Maulana Rumi was he was a great scholar before he was a, a you know a poet he was a great scholar he was well versed in the ulum al he was he he transmitted hadith muhadith. he's in the chains of the muhadithun of his time so uh al-Qunawi who's here was a great scholar he was a quranic master he, he people came from all over the Muslim world to read hadith with him. You know, he was a master of hadith. So this whole idea that these people weren't the ulama is wrong. They were ulama. Now there are some amongst them that were illiterate, that Allah gave big openings to. That's true. And, that, and that's a possibility. Um, but generally, the vast majority were great scholars. So he says, ma huwa min bab al-amal kana بَلْ ذَٰلِكَ فِي بَابَ الْقُرَبَ الْمَنْدُوبَةِ jinsihi الشَّرْعُ جِنْسِهِ يَأْخُدُونَ بِهِ وَلَا So the madhab of the Sufis, if they find actions that are not contradicted by a sharia ruling and they're from the qurab and mandubat, they're from things that get you closer to Allah and the shara' recognizes the genus they take those things, and they, and, and they're not concerned about whether the asad is sahih or not. That's a madhab. You don't have to follow that madhab, but it's a valid madhab. It's a valid madhab. Because these are ulama. They're, they're not talking about ignorant people. They're talking about scholars. That was their opinion. Ma'adda min al-wasayid إِلَى طَاعةٍ فَهُوَ طَاعةً What min al So those things that are means to an act of obedience are an act of obedience. So for instance, in order to recite the Qur'an, you have to learn the Arabic script. That's a means to an act of obedience. So the, the actual learning of the Arabic script is an act of, of ta'a, of ibadah. So the means to an action is, has the hukm of the action itself. If you're doing it to get to uh, an act of obedience and you can't get there without it, then it itself is an act of obedience. Now this last one is very important. I want you to reflect on it. (laughs) جميع (laughs) الأغيار والأنوار والمقامات والأحوال والدنيا والآخرة والنعم الظاهرة والباطنة لا تلاحظ شيئا من ذلك ولا ترك إليه ولا تعتمد عليه أَوْ فَإِنَّ قَادِحٌ It's an amazing statement. All of the things that happen to you, lights that might come to you, the illumination of what the the qawm the called barq, you know, you, you get these flashes of, of illumination that can happen. مَقَامَات, all these stations. Ahwal going into أَحْوَال. وَالْدُنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ World and other world. والباطنة, and blessings, outwardly and inwardly. Don't look at those things like this is what it's about. Don't depend on them, because you can lose your dunya, you can lose, uh, you know, your maqam, you can lose all, don't depend on these things. He said all of these things degrade the sincerity of your tawhid. All of these things degrade the sincerity of your tawheed. Marabd al-Hajj told me once, because I, I asked him about those, you know, kashf and ahwal and things. He said, لَنَا al He said, we don't consider those things. He said, نَعْبُدُ اللَّهِ لِأَنْهُ قَالَ اِعْبُدُوا rabbukum." He said, we worship Allah because he said, worship us. Whatever gifts he might give us in that worship, that's his that's his affair. It's not our affair. We don't worship him for the gifts. We worship him just because of the gift of life and that, we, that we're that commanded to worship him. Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillah. 15 minutes. That was 15 minutes ago? Yeah, okay. allahu barak fi. I want to thank... Uh, she left, I think, already, but... Um, the... Uh, the um, Member of Parliament Layla, Dr. Layla, and her group. Thank you for coming and honoring us. And tashakur uh, uh, adhirin. So Barakalatikum Subhanakalam kum. Subhanaka Allahumma, alhamdulillah. Illahe illa anta astaghfiruka wa tabarik.